Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Welcome to this recording of the National Stroke Education Center. I'm Jordan Bonomo, an emergency physician and neurointensivist at the University of Cincinnati, and I'm joined today by my colleague and friend, Stacy Demmel, DO, PhD, stroke neurologist extraordinaire, and a pretty avid Pelotoner, if you wanted to know that. So Dr. Demmel, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Bonomo. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise. You will have done some content with us on aphasia and stroke patients with it. And I gotta tell you, as a stroke physician as well, I find the distinction between aphasia and encephalopathy difficult, not necessarily when I'm at the bedside, but often when I'm hearing it from someone who's at the bedside who called me for some help. I was wondering, could you walk me through a little bit about your thinking, your differential, when you're talking to someone on the phone who calls you as a stroke physician and says, hey, Dr. Demmel, can you help me? This patient is confused, or, but maybe they have aphasia. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Can you help? Absolutely. And I agree with you. This is a common issue that comes up when we're on stroke call and we're called by um, either in-house physicians or ER physicians on a patient who has a change in mental status. And so trying to distinguish between whether that patient is encephalopathic or confused for any number of systemic reasons or truly has a brain problem called aphasia or a language problem can be difficult to ascertain over the phone. Um, I'll start by saying I do think this is sometimes where doing a telemedicine exam helps me so that I can see the patient and ask them questions and look for certain signs to sway me one way or the other. But some of the common things that I like to get out of the way first is to ask a few questions. And so one thing would be to ask about other things like vital signs in labs. Is there something that sticks out to me that makes me think this patient may have some sort of toxidrome or infection or something else making them altered. I take that into consideration. Like a fever to white count of 23,000? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Then from there, I go into the exam. And there are questions I do want the bedside provider to ask the patient or do with the patient at that time. And those things include not just asking the patient to talk. Ask them a question. What is your name? What month is it? How old are you? That gets you to hear the patient speak, but also other questions can help as well. Ask them to name objects, ask them to repeat. Sometimes I'll see, well, can they write? Um, And then I take all those things together to try to determine if I think this patient truly has a language problem or if this is just more generalized confusion. You mentioned writing and I find that fascinating. So the first time I did this, I was blown away where a patient could not speak to me, but they could write essentially fluently. Maybe there's a little bit of error in there, but not much. We don't see it super often, but when we do, it's pretty profound. Sure. And uh, for me, as a stroke neurologist, it's also very exciting. It means they have a deficit in a very, uh, a lesion in a very specific place where they have alexia without agraphia. They can't read, but they can write. And it's the dominant hemisphere, and it includes the uh, splenium of the corpus callosum. I find that fascinating. You don't even need an MRI at that point. You know exactly where it is. That's old school neurology. I love it. It's fascinating. Well, so you mentioned some some of the questions that you ask. How would you coach me if I were at the bedside with a patient who I'm looking at and I'm saying, you know, this person's an attorney. Um, They're having what I think might be an acute stroke. And it seems like it's largely aphasia. They can get some words out, but I have a little bit of trouble understanding them. Or maybe, maybe it's more than a little. 
And I'm asking myself, you know, could this person go back to being a trial attorney? I'm like, there's no way that they could do that. How do I really assess the depth of their aphasia? That's a good question. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's obvious. Um, they clearly could not do their job that they were doing before. And the fact that you knew that this was an attorney uh, beforehand helps you, right? As opposed to somebody who's not working and their aphasia may be mild. So I take into consideration the person's age, whether they're working or not, what their job is. If it's that mild um, that I can understand some of what they're saying, I can actually ask them, do you think this is debilitating for you? Would you be able to go to work with these deficits? And if these were acute and onset and the patient either can't tell me or tells me that this is not something that would be compatible with them being able to keep their current job, that's a patient who I would say, yep, they're probably having a stroke, and yet we should probably consider treating them. Yeah, so that, that aphasia would be clearly disabling. Okay. When you have an emergency physician on the phone who says to you, I think this aphasia is pretty bad, they can only get four or five words out, but I understand those words, right? And they're maybe a little bit older, maybe they're not active currently, they're not a, an English professor or something like that, um, they're in their retired years. How do you assess that? Do you, do you look at that disability somehow differently? Complicated question. Uh, what I will say from my experience in seeing these patients in the clinic, say three months later, what sometimes seems like a mild aphasia acutely, you say, yeah, they can get some words out. They seem to understand most of what I'm saying. Those patients three months later often still feel debilitated. And so I think I would be remiss in excluding that patient for treatment because they're getting four or five words out that I can understand. When that person tries to go back into the world, whether they're working or not, even trying to communicate with family members or grandchildren or whomever, say they're not working, they often find that extremely frustrating, um, even months down the line. What I think I'm hearing you say is that we may undervalue or underestimate the severity of the aphasia that we're seeing in front of us because we documented as mild on our clinical exam, but three months later, still mild is still potentially debilitating. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And I actually just fell in the trap, right? For years, we've been trying to get away from mild strokes. There are no mild strokes. You're disabled or you're not. And I did it myself. I I'm, I should self-flagellate or something, right? This is terrible. I'm sorry. I'm a bad stroke doctor. But that's that's important to remember, yeah. So just because we consider it mild on a score doesn't make it mild in life. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, I think we've talked about before, the NIH stroke scale is very good at communicating deficits, but it's not good at determining disability. And so those are the, that's where I gear my questions. If I'm wondering if this is debilitating for a patient or not, I ask the patient questions or the family questions and don't rely on an NIH stroke scale. That being said, the NIH stroke scale of all things scores aphasia fairly aggressively. So you don't just get scores for having aphasia or lose points for having aphasia. You will also lose points for not being able to answer the orientation questions or not being able to follow commands. In order to truly have aphasia, does someone need to be alert? In order to be able to diagnose it at the bedside or identify it clinically, do they need to be alert? It, it seems like it would be difficult for someone who's obtunded. I mean, I do, I'm an ER doctor, and I, I do the knuckles on chest all the time. I get a bunch of moaning. I don't think those patients are aphasic. I think they're obtunded. I would say you wouldn't be able to discern. Yeah, so that's important too. So those patients who, uh, who appear obtunded, I, I really don't think that aphasia is part of that clinical syndrome, but I do often hear that, hey, this obtunded patient is aphasic. Yeah, I think the important thing would be to just understand that you can't discern, right? You don't know if that patient is encephalopathic or aphasic for if their level of consciousness is obtunded. Um, you just can't test it. And so you can't rule out that that may be a stroke. Dr. Demel, any parting thoughts for our listeners today on aphasia, encephalopathy, confusion? 
I think we covered most of it. I think, as you just pointed out, with a decreased level of consciousness, um, there are certain scenarios where it is difficult to discern, but I would say one should keep it in their differential, keep it in their thoughts as this could be aphasia, could be a stroke, even when you can't discern because of things like level of consciousness or um, a language barrier or, or other factors that make it more difficult to determine. Language barriers also tough. They'll mention aphasia and I will often request an interpreter and then aphasia goes away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Devil, thank you so much for your time. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. This has been a recording of the National Stroke Education Center and thestrokejourney.com. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, M. Craig International, and MedEd On The Go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.